the effect is that lives and livelihoods are destroyed, um, changed uh, within seconds. And in the immediate aftermath after such an event, um, the challenge is how to respond. So there will be aid agencies, government agencies um, coming into the area, trying to alleviate the suffering, help help people in need. And we support um, with spatial analysis, with real-time local information. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today I'm talking to Catherine from an organization called Map Action, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what Map Action does and how they support other organizations in times of humanitarian emergencies. Hope you enjoy the interview. Well, today I'm lucky enough to have Catherine from an organization called Map Action in the studio with me today. Well, she's not actually in the studio. I am here in Denmark and she is in Italy. But we're talking together and it's going to be good. Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about your background and then what Map Action is? Um, so I'm a geographer and I did um, MSc in Geographic Information Science and GIS at UCL in London. Um, and whilst I was studying, I heard about uh, this very interesting charity um, called Map Action, um, who are based in the UK and who basically provide humanitarian geospatial um, analysis and maps um, to support responders um, in the humanitarian crisis. And I got, um, I was lucky enough to get involved um, early on. Um, so the charity exists since 2003, and I joined in 2004. Okay, so you talked a little bit there about providing uh, mapping products or, or doing mapping for first responders and humanitarian mapping. Can, can you say a little bit about that? What, what are we actually talking about here? It's basically we, after... A disaster, usually it's natural disasters, but it's becoming more and more um, sudden, also, sorry, slow onset um, conflict type disasters. But usually um, we focus on natural disasters. So there might be a flood, um, an earthquake, um, hurricane hits an area, which um, and, um, it strikes uh, without warning, usually apart from typhoons who will usually have some warning and um, the effect is that lives and livelihoods are destroyed um, changed uh, within seconds and in the immediate aftermath after such an event um, the challenge is how to respond so there will be aid agencies government agencies um, coming into the area trying to alleviate the suffering help help people in need and we support um, with spatial analysis, with real-time local information. We are present on site um, and help producing maps, uh, showing this new, this new what is this changed situation on the ground, and help responders with decision making. So I guess we're all used to seeing those really dramatic images of helicopters landing and people jumping out and you know distributing aid to people, setting up tents and, and starting to help people and sort of 
trying to get to grips with, with what's happened and, and what's going to happen next. And it sounds like that Map Action is providing the, the mapping data for those people, the geospatial analysis for, for those different organizations. But I guess the question is for me is why don't those different organizations have mapping people on the ground already? Well, why do we need another organization? So we, I mean, basically we are trained to do exactly that. Um, so Infection has a pool of volunteers at the moment. It's about 70 um, volunteers and half of them are available and trained um, to go out um, within 24, 48 hours notice. Um, and we are trained not only in GIS um, and mapping, but also in the humanitarian system, how, how, how it all works. We get there quickly, um, set up uh, our our kit, and um, have procedures in place um, to provide or to produce mapping and spatial spatial analysis um, rather quickly. Whereas it seems to be that currently, or even I mean, it, it's changed a bit in the in the last um, ten years. So initially, there wasn't like fifteen years ago, there wasn't any agency providing any mapping or um, analysis of uh, information um so we really um fill the gap then now it's changed in that there are now different agencies so even big agencies um, like world health organization like uh, unicef who will have mapping experts in their in their organization but they usually don't um well at the moment they don't it might change they don't uh, deploy in the first response phase so they would support their organizations um, from their headquarter offices in whatever, and usually in the country, capital city. Um, and they are not set up to provide this kind of service, mapping service, analysis service to everyone, whereas we we are there to provide this information to everyone who, who, who wants it, who needs it, who, who is there, be it government organizations, um, NGO organizations. Um, any any belief organization who's there and our maps can help them so um, it's, it's it's a kind of the mapping cell for for the whole um, response operation already i've got this image in my mind of some sort of black ops mapping team that are there to save the day so you jump out of your helicopters you're, and I'm thinking you're prepared a little bit before you even got in the helicopter. What kind of things do you have to think about before you deploy to, to such a such a situation? We do several things. Um, so we do before we deploy, depending on, um, so usually it will take 24, 48 hours to, to sort out visas, uh, flights, etc., traveling arrangements. Um, and in that time that's available before a team of usually min- minimum two people, depending on the scale of the disaster, might be up to up to ten people. Um, there will be a data scramble, so for the area affected um, that we know is if, like it's not always uh, um, the information is not always there. But we will start, um, or the entire team um, will start getting to get to gather data, like which is usually baseline data, but also put data on population any data that might already at this early stage be available on the situation, be it uh, could be um, at the track of, of a hurricane um, across land. Um, but at the same time, the staff in that action will produce um, 
a security brief. Um, there will be information on um, medical situations, so any um, what vaccinations uh, we need to have um, in this part of the world. Um, we will establish before we go out um, contacts with our partners, whether who's who's going out there, who's still who's already in country. So we will um, travel there with data, hopefully with information on security situation and um, yeah, um, and we have to prepare the kit as well. So we usually go there with large um, boxes full of equipment with A3, A4 printers, various a number of laptops, um, GPS units, satellite phones, um, all sorts of networking equipment. Yeah, that's uh, so there's quite a bit of preparation happening very fast um, before we go out. It sounds like it. And I guess you're, you've got to be prepared for almost anything. Now, if I was tasked with, with, the, with the job of sharing information, geographic information to, to various different organizations, immediately I'd think of some kind of web server where I could update information at one place and have it distributed automatically to people. But I'm assuming that in a, a disaster situation, this kind of network, this kind of internet connectivity is probably not possible. Is that correct? There, well, there are, in fact, there are organizations now. Again, it's changed to to the years, years ago. So at the, now, like for instance, I've been to Mozambique um, for the um, response uh, to Hurricane Idai, and um, we got there early on. Um, but there already were um, organizations that exactly they have this role of providing internet connectivity. So the organizations like Ericsson Response, Telecom Solve Frontier. Um, and it's it's developed in such a way that often, in most cases, I would say, um, we get there and there is some sort of connectivity, um, which we which we then use to because we share. Obviously, we produce maps to share to provide locally, but we also upload our products and data we could we can gather on site. We upload our data um, to our website to other to relief web to a number of websites that are used by humanitarian actors to get information. Okay, so, so now you're on site, you've figured out uh, what kind of options you have in terms of connectivity, in terms of networking. And, and before you even left home, you gathered a whole bunch of data. So you arrived there. What, what, what are the first kind of um, data uh, collection activities do you do? Like what, what kind of data is important to you and that maybe you can only get once you're on the ground? It's um, baseline data we would have, in most cases, we would have got before we get there. When we get there, it's it's any situational information um, we can find. Um, so it's what's most important, depending, depends a bit on the, on this disaster, on the scenario, but what's most important in, in all types of scenarios is where is the population, most vulnerable um, population, where, is, where are the people affected and what are their needs? Um, so starting from baseline population, which we would have normally brought with us already, um, we would talk to partners on the ground um, and try to get this kind of information um, as detailed as possible. The other sets of information we um, often, again, depending on the situation, um, is transport access. So um, which roads are possible, um, 
which bridges are down. Um, are there any security issues and obviously where? Um, other information um, like which organizations are working where? So um, yeah, so this this kind of um, is probably the key the key information. Yeah, it's really interesting that you said that that uh, baseline population data, where are people affected? You know, where are most of them anyway? That that, that was the most important um, piece of data for you guys when you first arrived on the ground. And I guess that's one of the things too that would be really difficult to capture automatically. Uh, so over the last few years, we've seen this huge increase in our ability to walk around with a cell phone, for example, and use machine learning to to capture the built environment in terms of map data. But I'm assuming in terms of population data or that sort of uh, data focused on on humans and, and their well-being, that, that would be really difficult to, to automate. It depends on the, on the, on the situation, but um, it's it's a matter of, um, so for instance, maybe if you take a recent um, example, so the floods, um, so first is the storm damage and there were floods in Mozambique um, in a large, huge area. And it did, it did take about two weeks um, involving several, um, a number of helicopter flights using tablet, um, little tablet devices to get an, so following, you know, a, a gridded approach, um, a standard type, almost like a search and rescue setup, trying to find out where are the people um, affected. So flying over um, in a two week period over the area. Um, getting those figures um if, unless if you don't have these kind of this kind of information it would it would mean you won't be able to target um the delivery of aid to the right places so it's it's an it's, it's something because situation changes um after events like this strike you wouldn't be able to automate or generate this information unless you are in the field and do something like a flyover or walk over survey now again in the last few years we've seen huge advances in terms of what we can do for, from satellites and from the pre-interview i know that you talked about a few space agencies help you guys out and they they provide data what, what can you use this kind of data for so we would use flood extents um as so there are like like you said there are various uh, space agencies providing flood extents um and they provide updated um extend information um, depending on availability of satellite information regularly and we can use this to delimit or to um, to reduce the area of where people potentially are affected it doesn't mean areas that are flooded there there are people so if you overlay population presence from pre-disaster with the flood extent doesn't mean necessarily that everyone is infected affected, but it, it it helps narrowing down the area to search or focusing on some areas to to do an assessment and get more information on on affected areas and needs in those areas. Now I'm assuming that to do this kind of work, you'd you'd have to have a certain set of skills and obviously. Uh, understanding of of geospatial and data and GIS and, and and that kind of thing they're really important. But I'm assuming it, you know, you'd you'd need a whole bunch of other different skills. You talked about that sort of um, that background in humanitarian activity, so understanding how these other organisations think and react and 
and what their mandate is in a, in a disaster situation. Um, can you say a few more things about the kind of skills that you're looking for in the, in the volunteers that, that do this work for Map Action? Um, one of the, so obviously, like, okay, you mentioned already the GIS skills. The other, I think, big um, um, trait we're looking in people is, is, is team, team players. So it's basically um, you're very much going out into an area where you don't really know what, what you're going to find. Um, so if you imagine you, you pack your bags, um, you, you set off um, on a plane with other people and um, you do want to be able to, to rely on them a little bit. So it's, it's, you do have to have characters that are confident in in foreign um, um uncomfortable even environments and who are um, um who can cope with these situations and who are um team players basically so and the other so we're looking for these kind of people and also what helps is we do um, run trainings, participated trainings regularly in the UK, as well as external trainings where we participate, but also train um, in in the humanitarian context simulation exercises. And those regular trainings um, help um, that we do know this person we'll be deploying with. So out of this pool of 70 people, it's it's usually a given that I know this person a little bit. So it's it's so which which then means and because we train our procedures it means there's no how do you call it like there's no so it's it's we can get we can start working straight away um knowing each other somewhat uh so it sounds like you you need um obviously a lot of technical skills but you need a lot of um personal skills i would call them and almost like survival skills and good sort of networking skills and I think too, you also must need to be uh, have a certain amount of flexibility because if you're to- talking about deploying for an unspecified length of time to a situation or to a country you'd never been to before, uh, with 24 hours notice, that that must uh, there must be very few people that that have that kind of flexibility in their lives. I'm thinking. Yes, um, that's why um, that's why the pool of volunteers needs to be fairly large so that when does something happen and there's a call a call going out. Um, who's available, who can leave straight away, um, basically. And there's often, it's not like all 70 say, yes, I can go. <laughs> um, because we all have full-time jobs. Um, some of us have family. Um, so it's it doesn't happen um, all the time that one can go, even though we all would like to <laughs> deploy and put our skills to to use it's uh yeah it it it, it needs to be needs to coincide with um with the work and and we are very grateful if our our employers um let us let us go as well so they contribute they support the charity as well in that sense that 
they give us um, a tr- give us leave at short notice or let us go at short notice. Catherine, I've just got a couple more questions for for you, but before I let you go, and the, the the first one is, how would I get involved with this? If I'm sitting out there, I'm listening to this podcast episode, and I think, wow, that's something I would really like to do. What what would I need to do to to be involved with with the organisation of Map Action? Um, so you can always um, have a look at our website to get uh, more information. So it's www.mapaction.org. And uh, there will be a general email address you can write to and um, ask about um, types of involvement. Usually, the last years we run um, recruiting processes um, at the beginning of the year. It depends a bit. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to happen next year um, or not, but it, it's quite likely it will. So you can inquire um, on this general email address um, asking about the possibility of joining the charity and also detailing in what capacity, how, how would you like to, you would like to be involved. It doesn't need to be operational. It can be um, in a support capacity. And my, my last question here is... Um... Can you see an improvement? Are we getting better at this disaster at disaster relief in terms of our, our mapping capabilities? You talked a little bit before about different organisations showing up now, and they're tasked with providing networks and and providing this this IT infrastructure. And you also said that more and more organisations are starting to have like a mapping resource somewhere in the background, not necessarily on the ground in the actual disaster zone, but somewhere out there. So in, in general, can you say that we're getting better at, at, at disaster relief mapping? Definitely. Yeah, I would definitely say it's improved a lot. Um, also regarding coordination, so that we are actually, we established these contacts, different players um, have partnered up. Um, there's websites sharing information, um, data maps there's uh, it's it's all a very it's a much more coordinated effort now i would say Catherine, on behalf of all the people listening to this podcast episode i really want to thank you for the work you do for the um for the help you give to the people that that really need it in these um disaster situations and for coming along this podcast and, and telling us a little bit about your work and and um yeah and, and sharing your story with us really appreciate it thank you Well, thank you very much. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I would just like to tell you that I would be eternally grateful to you if you would share this with a friend that you think might enjoy it, and you are more than welcome to reach out to me on social media for whatever reason. You'll find a lot of useful links in the show notes. Thanks very much. Talk again next week. Bye.